this here. We've been going through our different kings. Uh, Dustin, if you want to put that first uh, slide up when you get a chance. These are slides I showed you last week. Just to kind of remind you what we're doing, a little bit of the historical context here of what's going on. Here's our first one. This is what we got to a couple weeks ago. A first king was Saul, followed by David, followed by Solomon. And then after Solomon, the member of the kingdom split. Kingdom split. Southern tribes became known as the kingdom of Judah. That was Benjamin and Judah. The northern tribes were known then as Israel. Now, when you study out the book of Kings, it follows both the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And the book of Chronicles that we're going through, it only follows, really, the focus is on Judah. It's on Judah. Can you go to the next slide real quick here, Dustin? So, this is the kings of the kingdom of Judah. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa. We left off with Asa last year, just to give you a little bit of a context. It's about 140 years from Saul to Asa. Now, after Asa's passing, we're picking it up here in chapter 17. And we get to talk about my favorite guy in the Bible. And it's not because he's my favorite guy. He's just got the best name. Jehoshaphat. I get to say Jehoshaphat for the next couple weeks. So, four chapters on Jehoshaphat. He is argumentably one of the best kings that the tribe of Judah, excuse me, the kingdom of Judah ever had. This is a good king. Now, as you know, as we've been going through our study in Chronicles, this is what we do. We talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. What can we learn from them to repeat? And what can we learn from them not to do? Paul said they're given to us as examples. So, with Jehoshaphat's life, we're going to learn what can we learn from him to repeat and what can we learn from him not to do, then apply that to our lives. But he's one of the good ones. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't have his bumps and bruises and it doesn't mean he doesn't have his ups and downs. But he's a good one and his life goes on here for four chapters in Chronicles. I really wanted to do all four chapters at one time to get the full context of it, but it's just too much information. So, we're going to do the first two chapters tonight, chapters 17 and 18. We'll pick up the next two chapters of his life next week. So... Chapter 1, I'm going to give you the answer right before we start. It's a good chapter. We can learn a lot of good things from his life here. Verse 1, Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord is with Jehoshaphat. Because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. Baals were another name for the gods back then, the false gods, the god of Baal. But sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat. And he had riches and honor and abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. If you remember correctly, the high places, we talked about that last week. They're called the high places because they put them on high hills. The idea was let's get as close to God as we can. So they set up these false altars to these false gods and they put them on the high places. Verse 7, also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Halah, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites. And then in verse 8, you see the listing of the Levites' name. The Levites, and with them Elishom and Jehoam the priest. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout the, all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Now... This is what makes Jehoshaphat different than the other kings. Because he did two things. This is important. He built up the nation militarily. That's what we talked about here at the beginning. Verse 2, fortified cities, troops. We talked about before how important it is in your spiritual life to fortify yourself spiritually. 
You're going to get attacked. You're going to. It's going to happen. Are you prepared for that? I heard a great teaching this morning about the shield of faith. And this pastor was talking about the importance of the shield of faith that sometimes in life, you're just such under attack, the only thing you can do is just hide behind the shield of faith. That's all you can do. And so you're going to get attacked. Your marriage is going to get attacked. Your witness is going to get attacked. Your feelings are going to get attacked. Your time with the Lord is going to get attacked. How are you going to respond to that? That's why we fortify. That's why we prepare. And we get ready for the battle that we know is going to come. So Jehoshaphat did that militarily. Now, a lot of the other kings did that militarily. What makes Jehoshaphat different? Verse 8, he sends out the Levites. He sends out the priests. And what do they do? Verse 9, They taught people from the book of the law. Not only did he build up the nation militarily, he built up the nation morally. That's what makes him different. And that's what I love about this guy. He saw the importance of his kingdom being defended. That's good. But more importantly, he saw the spiritual nature of what needed to be taken care of. Build up the nation morally. And what did they do, verse 9? They just taught the book of the law. That's all they did. Do you ever realize how simple Christianity is? We're just supposed to get together, have a time of fellowship, have a time of worship, give you opportunities to serve, give you opportunities to witness, and then we're just supposed to teach you. That is the whole goal of the church, the body of Christ. As you've heard me say many times, when we get together at church, it's a little bit like a staff meeting. We're going to get together. We're going to see where we're strong. We're going to see where we're weak. And then we're going to strengthen those areas. We're going to encourage one another. And then we're going to get on the same page. And we're going to go out there and tell people about Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. And how do we do that? It's all by teaching. Verse 9. You'll see this constant theme throughout the entire Bible. It's always about teaching. Jesus is teaching all the time. That's how he spread the word. Paul, it's through the teaching of the word. Peter, it's through the teaching of the word. Somehow, somewhere down the road here, we started thinking that church has to become this place of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, that we're not going to teach the people, we're going to entertain them to bring them in. It'll never work. Sure, you'll get some cotton candy people coming in because that's what we want, but really what it comes down to is just the teaching. You just get together and you just simply teach the word of God simply. And God blesses that. Because what matters most is when you guys leave here tonight... Of course I want you to have a good time. Of course I want you to have good fellowship. Of course I want you to enjoy the worship. But most importantly, I just want you to be taught the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will take that and use that into your life and then grow you. The teaching is always needs to be the focus. Because that's how people will grow in their walk in relationship with the Lord. So verse 9, they taught the people. And as they taught the people, guess what? Verse 10, the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms. God honors that. God blesses that. He's building up the nation militarily. He's building up the nation morally, sending out the priests, sending out the Levites, focusing on God's word, and says, you guys will grow by this. What a great king. What an absolutely great king. What else can we learn from him that was good? Jump back to verse 3. The Lord is with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. You know, there's this term we use in our little Christian language. How's your walk going? Walk denotes effort. It's called a walk with Christ, not a sit with Christ. It's this idea of you're moving forward in your relationship with Jesus. It's your walk. It's not a run. It's not a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're walking with the Lord. 
And so when you walk with the Lord, it carries this idea, it carries this this picture of you and the Lord walking together and learning and growing and teaching and worshiping and witnessing. It's a walk. You know what that's like. When you're out there walking with somebody, you can have a conversation with them. You know, there's times in, in years past where I would go out and I would do some running and some people would say, hey, do you want to get together to run? So I would try to get together with them to run. They're in a lot better shape than me. As we're running, they could carry on a conversation. I was dying. You can't, you can't run and talk. It just doesn't work. But you can walk and talk. And there can be a lot of fellowship. And what I've learned in my walk with Christ is it's just that. It's a walk. Oh, I want to speed up the process so much. Lord, can I be done with this sin? Can I be done with this problem? Can I be done with this? I want to sprint to that finish line. And the Lord says, James, just walk with me. And as you walk with him, you learn, you grow. Look at the disciples on the road to Emmaus in the Gospels. They walked with the Lord. And what did they say? Did our heart not burn within us when we walked with him and he taught us the scriptures? Teaching and walking is a great way just to really grow deeper in the Lord. Real quick, if you're a note taker, write it down. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, my favorite psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He does not walk with what is evil, he walks with what is good, and he delights himself in the law of the Lord. And that's exactly what we see here with Jehoshaphat. One more word on Jehoshaphat, though, verse 4. He did not only walk with the Lord, he sought the Lord. He sought. Sought denotes effort. It takes effort to grow deeper in the Lord. As we mentioned Sunday, you can grow as deep as you want in the Lord, as deep as you want to go. God will never force you to go deeper. Never. That was so freeing when I finally realized that. Because when I used to do counseling with couples, I was trying to force them to reconcile in marriage. When I would talk to somebody who's kind of lukewarm in the Lord, I was trying to force them to go deeper in the Lord. Somebody wasn't saved, I was going to force them into a relationship with Christ. Never works. Never works. They have to seek the Lord on their own. And when they decide to seek the Lord on their own, that's when things will change in their life. You can't force somebody to go deeper. Jehoshaphat wanted to walk with the Lord. He wanted to seek the Lord. He wanted to build the nation up militarily. He wanted to build the nation up morally. One last one, verse 6. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Now, that's what New King James says. Every translation says it a little bit differently. Some say he devoted himself. He committed himself. Probably the best translations. Who's got good old King James out there? Rose, what does yours say instead of he took delight, verse 6? His heart was lifted up. The Hebrew in that word is almost a difficult word. And anytime you see numerous translations always translated differently, it shows that they really don't know how to take that word. King James lifted up. New King James delighted. NIV, NLT, devoted, committed. What that word literally means in verse 6 is almost he was so excited in the Lord, he was bouncing around like Tigger. Now, it doesn't say bouncing around like Tigger in the original Hebrew, but you kind of get the idea what I'm trying to say. He was excited about the Lord. And since he was so excited about the Lord, he's just, he couldn't contain it. He was excited. When was the last time we were that excited about the Lord? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, wow, Lord, you're just so amazing. I just can't. It's pretty cool. Problem is, so often when we walk with the Lord for a while, yeah, I love the Lord. Yeah, yeah God's word is good. 
Yeah. We just kind of become this little ho-hum type thing. What you see with Jehoshaphat, there's a true excitement in the things of a God. And he was so moved and so excited by what the Lord was doing in his life. He says, I have to send the priests and the Levites across the nation to build up the nation spiritually. Because look what God did for me. This is what I want to do for them. So what you see with Jehoshaphat, once again, he walked with the Lord. He sought the Lord. He was lifted up. He was excited with the Lord. He then taught the people morally, built the nation up militarily. This is why he was such a great king. That's our introduction to Jehoshaphat. Any quick questions, comments about him before we move on here with the rest of Jehoshaphat's story? Now, we know there's a lot more because there's four chapters about him. So what happens is this. You see here a little bit more of um, Jehoshaphat's reign. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. He built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah. And the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. Please note in verse 13, excuse me, verse 12, where it says they built stored cities. If you ever see the Bible talk about stored cities, that's supposed to be a picture. They were blessed so much that they had to build towns and cities to store all the stuff they couldn't hold. So, if you're building a stored city back in the Old Testament, it means you're pretty blessed. So, he's blessed militarily. He's blessed financially. And what happens here in verses 14 through 19, you see the men that he had served them. 19 sums it up nicely. These served the king besides those the king put in the fortified cities through all of Judah. Now, you heard me say many times before in teaching, I wish we could just stop after chapter 17. Problem is we have chapter 18. Now, Jehoshaphat's a good guy, okay? I'm telling you right now. But he also had some bumps and bruises on the way. Chapter 18 is a bump. Chapter 17, seeking the Lord, walking with the Lord, teaching the people. He's doing great. Chapter 18, what happens? Verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Now, Ahab. Ahab's a fascinating guy. You know, if you want to hear God's description of Ahab, you don't need to turn there, but it's in 1 Kings 16. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. Here's Ahab. Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. How would you like to be known as the most evil king of Israel that ever lived? Put that on your resume. That's Ahab. So isn't it fascinating... That on the southern tribes of Judah, you have Jehoshaphat, who's one of the best kings they ever had. But at the same time, on the northern tribes, you have Ahab, who is so evil that king says he did more evil than any other king before him. So what does our good, godly Jehoshaphat do? Verse 1, he makes an alliance with Ahab. That's not good. That's not good at all. First point of chapter 18, don't link up with Ahab's. Don't. Stay away from the Ahabs. They're not good. Nothing good will come out of it. So often we think, oh, I can reach the Ahabs. The Holy Spirit can reach the Ahab. Now, he can use you to reach the Ahab. But the problem is, Jehoshaphat is making an alliance with him. He's making an alliance with evil. That's what he's doing. Nothing good will come out of this. Verse 2, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab. Now he's visiting evil. And Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him. And the people who were with him persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. See, why would you not want to go visit Ahab? Verse 2, he's throwing you a party. Right? Isn't that how the world kind of disguises evil? It's a party. It's always fun. 
And so what happens is now we've allied ourselves with Ahab evil. Verse 2, now we're having a party with Ahab evil. And guess now what Ahab evil asks us in verse 3. So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Now just stop, don't read ahead. And I still know some of you are. Don't read ahead. Ahab evil is asking you now to hook up on the same team to fight the same person. Good, godly Jehoshaphat. Run. What does he do? Verse 3. He answered, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Jehoshaphat. This is why we say, jump in Jehoshaphat. What are you doing, man? He allied himself with evil. He went to evil's party. And now him and evil are going to work together. This is what we still happens today in the world. Is We know that that situation, that scenario, that person is not good for us. We know it's not good for us. We know it's not good for our kids. We know it's not good for our business. We know it's not good for relationships. But you know what? It's just, it's just Ahab. He's a good guy. Or verse 1, we're family. We're family. Verse 2, you know he throws great parties. Verse 3, we have a common enemy. Nothing will ever good come out of allying yourself with an Ahab. Nothing. So Jehoshaphat, I don't know what happens in verse 4. I don't know if he has to check in his spirit. I don't know if he realizes he bit off more than he should have. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Hey, evil Ahab. And I'd even go into the rest of it, what it says in Kings about all his false gods and false idolatry and false worship. Now you have this picture of the most evil king Israel had with one of the best kings that Judah had. And now Judah is asking the king of Israel, hey, let's inquire of the Lord together. What's Ahab going to say? Verse 5, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. 400 men said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Now, you know something's not clicking with Jehoshaphat, because look at verse 6. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire him? Jehoshaphat says, okay, you brought in your 400 choir that's going to say whatever you want them to say, Ahab. Is there not one guy? Now, remember, we went through this a few weeks ago. Israel did not have, did not have a real relationship with the Lord. When the kingdom split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Jeroboam basically said, listen, I don't got the temple, I don't got the ark, I don't got the priesthood. So what I need to do is this. I need to create my own convenient Christianity. Remember us teaching on that. So instead of telling the people to go down to Jerusalem to worship, I'm going to set up my own little church right here. And I'm going to make my own little church just a big party. And I'm going to make my own little gods. And we're going to have our own parties, our own priesthood, our own church, our own everything. And it's going to be so fun and so convenient that the people are going to say, well, why would I want to walk down to Jerusalem? Because I could just stay right here and make it easy, fun, and exciting. And so they let go of real worship. They let go of a real commitment to God. And they created their own religion. So what happens here is Jehoshaphat is saying, listen, you brought your 400 prophets in. They're only going to agree with you. Is there not one guy? Just one? Verse 7. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Evil will always hate what is godly. It always will. It blows my mind that I still see people that think that as Christians that we will be able to completely link in with the world. It it can never happen. Jesus made it clear. He goes, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
If they despise me, they're going to despise you. It is. The world is going to hate us. And you've heard me say this a lot lately. We are now basically the minority on most every moral issue. We really are. We are the really archaic ones with really weird ideas now. And we're the ones that suppose they're representing hate instead of love. So when the world looks at us, it's really easy to like the Hindus. It's really easy to like the Buddhists. But those Christians, those Christians, I hate those Christians. You just mention the name Jesus and people get riled up. And that's exactly what you see here with Ahab. There is one who still inquires the Lord, but I hate him. Why do I hate him? Because he never prophesies as good concerning me, but always evil. Always evil. Remember when we talked about Asa last week? When Asa's sin was pointed out to him, what did Asa do? He took the prophet that pointed out to him and threw him in prison. Because he didn't want to hear the truth. What did Herod do in the New Testament when John the Baptist called him out for his sinful relationship? Threw him in prison. What does Ahab think here of this prophet? He hates him because he speaks the truth. Now, I'm not going to ever come out and say that I have been persecuted like that. Never. But there's been many a times where I turned down the one aisle at Walmart. And at the far end of Walmart, there's somebody that used to come out and I haven't seen in a long time. And I'm so excited to see them. I'm like, hey, good to see you. And they just make a beeline. They want nothing to do with me in any way whatsoever. There's been times where I've tried to get a hold of somebody and I've called them. And I'll talk to somebody and say, yeah, I've been trying to get a hold of this guy. I just talked to him yesterday. You talk to him? Yeah, I've been trying. I can't get a hold of him. He never calls back. He never texts me. Oh, no, I talk to him all the time. Because they just don't want to be around. And I'm not saying because I am good and holy, but to an extent I represent that with the Lord. And so there's this conviction thing. I, I remember this one guy that every time I used to see him, ran into him at Ron's all the time. And Ron's is not that big of a store. You can't hide in Ron's. You can't. He would see me. And before I could even say hello, first words out of his mouth, Ah, oh, pastor, you'll see me Sunday. I didn't even bring it up. <laughs> pastor, you'll see me Sunday. Never saw him. But there's this built-in conviction. There's this built-in whatever. This guy right here, I hate him. I don't want to see him. He never says anything good about me. Always evil. I feel that some people think that way about me too sometimes. Because when I run into them and we start talking and the conversation inevitably turns to life. And their lifestyle is not lining up with scripture. Gosh, I hate to be the bad guy, but the Lord brings it up through the spirit. You know, that's not good. That's not good. He is Micah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Verse 8, then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Shani, had made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. Zedekiah is a false prophet. He brought his own set of horns. Because you always want a visual when you're teaching. You always want a visual. So his visual were the horns. Don't you almost see this guy putting the horns up on his head, right? And like putting his head down and running towards people. You're going to gore the Syrians with these horns. Verse 11. And all the prophets prophesied so saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver to the king's hand. All these 400 prophets. You're going to win, king. You're going to win. Verse 12. Then the messenger who had gone to Micah spoke to him saying, Now listen. The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. This guy pulls aside Mike and says, listen, 
All of us here are telling him to go to war. All of us are in agreement. Can you not just this one time, can you not just play along with us? Can you just not just be part of the crowd this one time, Micah? Just agree with us. Now, let's look at the points we have here now in this chapter. Don't link up with evil. Don't go to evil's parties. And don't make a covenant with evil. Stay away from it. Now we're introduced to Micah. And he's going to take a stand for truth. Even though 400 people are against him. As time goes on, you're going to be a Micah where you live and where you work and where you go to school. You may be the only one, the only one that's taking a stand for truth. And it's going to be a hard thing to do. And everybody's going to whisper at you. Everybody's going to hint at you. Just let it go. And you can't. had a college professor when I was in college that really just liked to stoke the fire, especially on things, on anything to do with Christianity. And I remember the one time he put the overhead up, and the overhead said, the only mistake that God ever made was when she created man first. Now think about it. The only mistake that God ever made was when she created man first. And he just steps back, smiles. What do you guys think of this? Everybody laughs and stuff. So I'm the believer in the class. So I got to react. I didn't want to. I mean, can't I just let it go, Lord? I mean, this guy, I mean, is he really going to drop to his knees and get sick? No, he's not. Just let it go. I couldn't. All right. I have a problem with that. Oh, you got a problem with that. What's your problem with that? So I start telling him, and it's just me. It's just me. All of a sudden, in this class, I'm the only one taking this stand. There's this gal that then raises her hand and says, you know what? I got a problem with that, too. And at that moment, it finally hit me. This is why the Lord sent the disciples out in twos. If you just have one person that you say, I'm on the same team as you, there's a power in that, that we're both fighting the same good fight together. And what a blessing it was to have one other believer in that class. Just one. But here, Micah, he's the only one. Only one. What does he say? Verse 13, Micah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says that I will speak. That should be our rule in life, folks. I just got to say what the Lord puts on my heart. If the scriptures say it's true, then it's true. If the Bible says it's wrong, then it's wrong. I'm not judging. I'm not being evil. I'm not being hateful. I truly do love everybody. I want every soul to go to heaven. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But verse 13, if the Lord says it's right, then it's right. And if the Lord says it's wrong, it's wrong. We just got to stick to that. Verse 14, then he came to the king and the king said to Micah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall he refrain? And he said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. Don't you love sarcasm? Verse 15, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? The king knew he was being sarcastic. Verse 16, then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? See, verse 16, what he's saying is, I saw Israel that did not have a shepherd. What's that mean? King, he just died. So Micah comes out. He's a bit sarcastic at first. Sure, go to battle. You'll win. Ahab says, I know you're being sarcastic. Tell me the truth. Micah says, this is what I see. I see Israel. They have no shepherd, which basically is saying, King, you just died in battle. You just died in battle. Ahab's response, Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you, never says anything good? Verse 18. Then Micah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? 
So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him so and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. See, what he comes out and he says now, Micah, he says, I saw a vision up in heaven. And basically God is saying, hey, they're asking me for wisdom. What do you guys think I should do? And this deceitful spirit came up and said, let me go down. Let me go down and I will go down and I will plant these thoughts into them. And as I plant these thoughts into them, I can persuade them, God, to do this evil path and go to this evil route. And that's exactly what happened. Now, some people hear that and say, I have a problem with that. Because isn't God supposed to give good wisdom? Isn't the angelic being supposed to be on our side here helping us? And basically what we have here is this angel saying, let me lie. And I'll persuade him. God says, go ahead and lie. Okay, let's get a little bit more background on this. First off, number one, we're assuming as we read through this, that this angelic being that said, let me go lie, was a good angelic being. We know from the book of Job, we know from the book of Revelation, that the false, excuse me, the demonics still have access to the throne of God. We know from the beginning of Job that Satan said, let me go down and cause some problems. And God said, sure, I'll use you because the Bible says he can use his enemies as a footstool. So if a demonic force came up there and said, let me go down and lie to him, God says, sure, go down and lie because Israel needs to be judged anyway. Number two, we know from the book of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 14, God says this. He says, you want to listen to false idols? Then fine, I will give you advice like a false idol would give you advice. Now think about that for a second. What God is saying in Ezekiel 14 is, listen, you and your free will want to go down this path. He says, I will let you go down that path. And I will guide you down that path because that's the path you are choosing in your own free will. So sometimes when people come up to me and say, well, why does the Lord allow this to happen? Because in my sinful, free will nature, I chose to walk down that path. And God said, if that's the path you want to go down, then go down. Basically, what he's saying here is, Ahab, you want to go to war. You want to go to war against this king. You really don't care what I think. You really don't want my advice and counsel. So, Ahab, you want to go to war? Go to war. And here's what's going to happen, Ahab. You're going to die in that war. Verse 23, then Zedekiah the son of Shania, I went near and struck Micah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? Isn't that funny? Zedekiah says, Wait, the Spirit of the Lord was in me. And now you're saying something different. So tell me, how did the Spirit lead me to come to you? He has no truth. He has no power, no authority of the Zedekiah. Verse 24, And Micah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. Just like Asa last week, I don't want to hear what you have to say, so I'm throwing you in prison. Guys, I'm not some doom and gloom guy. I hope you know me. You've been coming out here long enough to know this. I'm just telling you, this eventually is how the world will always react to truth. They will just say, We don't want anything to do with it. And eventually, truth is going to be considered illegal. Truth is going to be considered outlaw. And what happens is they're going to say, we just don't want to deal with truth anymore. We want our own truth. And that's exactly what you see. This has happened in the Old Testament. It happens in the New Testament. And to be quite honest, it's happening around the world today. So what's happening right here is, Micah, 
You spoke truth. I don't want to hear truth. Go to prison, Micah. Verse 27, Micah said, If you ever, excuse me, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. Remember Old Testament rules. You want to know if the person's a prophet? Wait to see if the prophecy comes true. If the prophecy comes true, they were a prophet. If the prophecy does not come true, take them out the side of the city and stone them to death. It really cut down on false prophets. Micah says this, you want to know if I'm true or not? Ahab, if you come back alive, I was wrong. I'm a false prophet. Ahab, if you die, I was right. Now, before we get to the actual battle, any quick questions, comments about anything here before we move on? Okay, Jehoshaphat put himself in a position he shouldn't have been, linked himself with evil, went to evil's party, made the covenant of evil. You do see in the midst of this chapter, Jehoshaphat, I think, has some checks in the spirit. I need a godly man. I want to see what a godly man says we should do. Micah is a man that's willing to take a stand, a stand for truth, and he does not let the numbers, the majority, dictate him. We can learn a lot from that. Take a stand for truth and never let the majority popular opinion dictate what you say or think. Never. Let's find out what happens in the battle. Verse 28, so the king of Israel and Joseph at the king of Judah went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Okay, don't skip over verse 29. Ahab is saying, I'll go into battle, but I'm going to dress like a regular soldier. But Jehoshaphat, make sure you wear your kingly, kingly garments. Now, why do you think Ahab suggested that? Because Jehoshaphat would look like the king. All the attack would be on the king. Ahab just looks like a regular guy. This is evil. Evil in this world will always throw you under the bus. They will always use you as a stepping stone. They always will. Verse 30. Now, the king of Syria... He commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But note Jehoshaphat, good guy, cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God delivered, him from, delivered them from him. Remember, we talked about cried out last week. Asa cried out. Abijah cried out when they needed help. Here Jehoshaphat cries out, and the Lord answered. It has not changed. It has not changed. If you're in a tough situation, cry out to the Lord. He hears, he listens, he responds. That's the beauty of it. And like I mentioned earlier in the teaching, sometimes the way the Lord responds is he says, hide behind the shield of faith until the attack is over. But God will be there. So God saves Jehoshaphat, verse 32. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random, And struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening, and about the time of sunset he died. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. Please take a look at verse 33. A certain man drew a bow at random. There are no coincidences in life. Please, I I just encourage you, and I don't mean this to be legalistic or rude, Take that word even out of your vocabulary. That's not a coincidence in life. In all things, God works for the good. This is not some randomness. Yes, the man drawing the bow may have just been shooting an arrow, and he may have fired, what, hundreds of arrows that day? Was he even targeting 
Ahab personally, or was he just shooting a volley? We don't know. But that random arrow was divinely guided by the Lord to a certain point, verse 33, between the joints of his armor. Now, I've studied this out before. The, the chances of that shot, the chance of this is that tiny little gap. But that was the divinely guided arrow of judgment by the Lord. Now, there's a lot of points with that, and we're running out of time. Please don't take this as me presenting God as a hitman. But God will always get his guy. You don't need to worry about that. God will always get his guy. And God will also always save his guy. That's the beautiful part about this. What you see here happening right now is you see God saving Jehoshaphat. You see God judging Ahab. And I hope that we will learn that Jehoshaphat has learned from this. Chapter 17 is a great chapter. Jehoshaphat did a lot of good. But what we see here in chapter 18, oh man, right back down to this up and down of life again, isn't it? And we can learn a lot from this. We can learn a lot from it. Any final questions, comments here about Jehoshaphat or Ahab before we close up? All right. Let's go ahead here. Close up with a quick word of prayer. And then we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, help us to be Jehoshaphat, walking in you, seeking you, devoted to you, teaching others about you. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, also help us learn from Jehoshaphat, too, to stay away from the evil, the covenant, the party, the linking, and just to focus on you, discerning, Lord, you. And Lord, also help us to be a Micah, to take a stand even when the numbers are against us and to take a stand for truth. Lord, we really want to serve you in all we do and all we say. And I pray for those couples heading down to the marriage retreat this weekend. Lord, your hand of blessing to be upon their marriage. Lord, I pray for just the, um, the uh, backyard mission trip coming up here in Nelson and Shirley's house. Bless that project just to help them in all ways. Lord, all these upcoming Bible studies and small groups and uh, the creation speaker, they mean nothing without you. We want it to be for your glory, proclaiming you and building up your kingdom in whatever way you call us. We love you and we thank you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys have a good evening. God bless. If anybody has anything they want to pray for, feel free to pop on up. We'd love to get a chance to pray with you. If not, have a good evening and God bless.